All right. Hey, good morning, church family. Great to see you guys. Um, wasn't that exciting to worship together this morning? Wasn't that awesome? I'm so thankful for, um, for Joe and Joe being our uh, point worship leaders and Kayla and the team. It's such a, such a gift every Sunday morning to worship together. Uh, I want to encourage you to pull out your message notes as always. And we're going to dig into Numbers chapter 14 today. Um, I want to encourage you to pull out a Bible, uh, have a Bible in hand, message notes next to you. Um, if you don't have a hard copy of God's Word, pull out your smartphone. And, and as long as you're not checking scores, I don't know if there's any uh, March Madness games going on. But hey, let's be honest here, okay? Um, all right, Numbers 14. Let me give you a run-up uh, to, run, to chapter 14. Last week we looked at chapter 13. Israelites are on the edge of the promised land. They're so close they can taste it. And we're going to see in a moment that they uh, are, are judged by God. And I said last week that the spies were sent out for 40 days. They come back. They bring the news to the people. The spies bring back the report. And in Numbers 13, 27 and 29, it says, and they, and they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev, the, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Termites. Okay, just want to make sure people are paying attention. And the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. So here's the context. Spies bring back a bad report. They're saying, you know, the cities are fortified. The people are strong. I mean, we even saw the descendants of Anak there. These are nasty, wicked giants in the land. Ten spies doubted God's power and they doubted God's provision. But there were two that believed the promises of God. It was Caleb and Joshua. So ten feared the people, two feared God. I love um, this statement about the Scottish reformer John Knox. Um, he was lowered to his grave and it was said of him, here lies one who feared God so much that he never feared the face of man. I love that. We should be just like John Knox. We should be just like Caleb and, and Joshua. When we're facing obstacles, when we don't know what to do, we just cry out to the Lord. We trust the Lord. It's amazing to me how 12 spies come back, two believe in God, two are, are anchoring everything to God's word, but 10 swayed 2 million people. It's amazing to me. It's amazing how much influence those 10 people had. You know, there was a man that was selling his frog farm and he put an ad in the newspaper and there was an, another man who owned a restaurant and he wanted to get some frog legs and so he came out that night and he heard all the sounds you know sounded like thousands of frogs and the next day he brought a pump to drain the pond and and he drained the pond and guess what he found one old nasty bullfrog that's all he found but that one old nasty bull, bullfrog sounded like thousands of frogs one or two skilled murmurers, one or two skilled grumblers can impact and sound like thousands. Caleb, 
goes against the grain. And instead of giving in to the pressure and, 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 and having doubt about God's promises and God's provision, Caleb rallies the people. Look at verse 30 of Numbers 13. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. I said last week that we covered some of this ground last week. I'm giving you quick context. The people are freaking out, right? Um, Caleb, he's a man of great faith. Caleb is rallying the pe- people. Caleb is saying, God's on our side. God's going to give us the victory. Let, let's go up. Let's trust the Lord. And then in verse 31, then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. How tragic. Think about the the tragedy here, the people forgot that God was on their side. God had delivered them from Egypt. God, by his power and his mighty arm, he performed these miracles and he delivered them from, from slavery and opened the Red Sea and, and they're wandering in the wilderness and God's providing manna and meat and God's so good to his people. God and, and, and yet the people are like, we can't do it. The, the people are stronger than we are. They're, they're fearing the giants in the land. You know, God is stronger and bigger when it comes to any obstacle that we face in our life. Any disappointment that you face in your life, God is stronger. God is bigger. Any trial that comes creeping into your life, God is bigger and God is stronger. Now, Numbers 14, let's look at The first three verses, it says, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? So the people, they turn their frustration towards Moses and Aaron. They're like, you know what? It would would just be better if we just died in Egypt. It'd be better if we just died in the wilderness. And then they start asking why. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? To fall by the sword? You know what their thinking was? God is bringing us out here to kill us. That's twisted thinking. God is bringing us out here to destroy us. Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. And God is sending a predator after our families. And we know in in a little bit we're going to look at God's judgment upon this whole generation. And then they have this bright idea. It was better for us back in Egypt. Look at verse 4. And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. So Here you have full-on mutiny right here. Full-on mutiny. It's time to change leaders. We're going back to Egypt. Now, let me give you a quick summary of what happens next. Moses and Aaron, they hear the people. They hear the complaining, the grumbling. They fall on their faces before the people. And Joshua and Caleb, they they speak up. They they, they challenge the people. And they say in verse 9, they tell the people, only do not rebel against the Lord. Right, right before they tell the people don't rebel, they, they tell the people, you know, if God delights in us, he'll, he'll bring us into this land. It's a good land. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. 
Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Caleb and Joshua, they exercise great leadership. They tell the people, listen, God is with us. God is on our side. We've got to move forward. We can't have a rebellious heart. We need to trust God and his plans for us. Look at verse 10. Look at the response of the people. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. What a nice reception Caleb and Joshua get, right? What a nice reception. Let's stone them with stones. I mean, how discouraging that had to have been. Not just, discour- not just discouraging, but, but horrifying, right? Moses and Aaron have been leading them for 38 years, and now they, they're wanting to kill you. That's the price of leadership sometimes. Choosing right, doing right, there's, sometimes there's, there's a price to be paid. There's opposition that will come against you. God isn't going to let that happen. Notice what the text says, that the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. Here's what's happening. God showed up. God showed up weeks ago. We looked at chapter 12 and how Miriam and Aaron spoke out against Moses and his, his, uh, his second wife because she was a Cushite woman. And we're told in that story that God showed up. God held them accountable. Well, here we're gonna see God showing up again. God's gonna hold his people accountable, right? So Numbers chapter 14, look at verse 11. It says, and the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? The key issue, we looked at it last week from Deuteronomy chapter 1. The key issue is the people did not believe God. We are so much like the Israelites. God proves himself to us time and time and time again. You know, and then God sends us uh, another trial, maybe a setback, maybe something in our life to, to grow our faith, to bolster our faith. And, and when that trial comes in, sometimes in our lives, we don't believe that God could show up again. God showed up in the past. He was faithful in the past. But can God be faithful in the present? Can God be faithful in the future? It's like sometimes when we, when we face difficult moments, dark seasons, um, really maybe negative trials that are really meant for our good, Sometimes we have spiritual amnesia. Can God really do it again? Can God really come through a second time? Right? Is God really on my side? Is he really working all things out for my good and for his glory? We forget how much God cares for us. Look at verse 12 of Numbers 14. God says, I will strike them with a pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than them. God is like, Moses, here's the deal, Moses. I've been long-suffering. I've been patient with my people. We're starting over. You know, Moses, you're going to be like the new Abraham. We're going to completely start over. Let me give you a, a quick recap here. This takes place, and then Moses begins to plead with God. That, that's one thing about Moses. He was a servant, servant of God. He was a deliverer. He was a, a rescuer, but he was also an intercessory, intercessor. He interceded for the people. Moses tells God, God, if you wipe out your people, then the talk around town will be that you broke your promises. 
You couldn't fulfill your word. You couldn't bring your people into the land. Now, I want you to notice verses 26 and 27. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Now, looking at those two verses, there's one dominant theme. What do you think the dominant theme is? Grumbling, right? It's mentioned three times. Here's point number one. Jot this down. Grumbling is a sin. Grumbling is a sin. You know, a few weeks ago, we talked about complaining and needing an attitude adjustment. So we're going to kind of uh, address some of the same issues, but a little bit different today. What is grumbling? What, what does it mean to, to murmur, to grumble, right? Literally, it's grumbling is when you don't say anything at all. You're just making a grumbling noise. Men are really good at this. Ugh, you know, you've had a really bad day at work. You come home, you know, you don't say anything. You just walk around the house. Ugh, ugh, you know, you ever been there? You know, come on, church, you ever been there? We've all had those moments where it's like you're so pent up with frustration, maybe anger, you just, it just comes out, right? You're not even saying anything, but you're just, you're, you're grunting, right? You're, you're grumbling, you're murmuring, you're frustrated, and um, people can't make any sense of what you're saying, right? The English term onomatopoeia, it sounds like what it is. That's what it means to grumble. It's what it means to murmur, right? Like when I use the word drip, onomatopoeia, drip, 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 or boom, or TikTok, not the TikTok app, but the TikTok clock, right? It sounds like what it is, grumbling or murmuring, if you say it really slow, it sounds like what it is. Now, you know, over the last month, I've been talking about complaining, and let's not complain, let's not grumble. I mean, really, I haven't hit the issue of grumbling yet, but um, how's that going for you? How's complaining been for you the last, the last few weeks? I don't know about you, but the last few weeks have been spiritual food for my soul. Numbers have been so good for me. It's been refreshing for me. It's been convicting for me at times, very convicting. I mean, the Holy Spirit's getting all over me on certain issues. And I hope it's been um, nourishing uh, food for you as well. You know, when, it talks to, when I talk about complaining, I don't think the text is talking about, you know, the, the petty complaining like, like, let me give you an example. Like, it's been raining a lot in San Diego, right? Anybody been complaining about the rain? I kind of have, okay? So me and my wife, we've been complaining about, man, it's just constantly raining. I've been here 13 years, and I don't think it's ever rained this much in 13 years, okay? Now, maybe you remember a different time, but I don't. I'm having moments where I'm like, hey, God, can we stop with the rain, right? Can we move to spring, you know? Can we get closer to summer? Can we get sunshine, right, and flowers and everything blooming, right? You, all, you always have those, um, those nerdy people, well, we need the rain because the reservoirs are so low. I get that. I get that, right? I get that, right? Um, you know, talk about complaining, you know, the, it's raining too much, the traffic is horrendous, Long lines at Costco, especially if you go on Saturday. But if you go on Saturday to Costco and you get in a long line, you can't grumble. 
It's your fault. Saturday is not a day to go to Costco. Okay, moving on. All right. So the complaining that I'm talking about, it's not the the surface level day-to-day stuff. No. Grumbling is an attack on God. That's what grumbling is. Murmuring is attacking who God is. It's attacking his character. It's doubting his character. It's attacking who he is and what he can do in your life. Notice what the passage said. God said, how long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? The grumbling was against him. And then it says, I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Double emphasis there. Grumbling is a sin against God. Now, the word sin literally means to miss the mark. Like, if you take a bow and arrow and you try to hit the bullseye, right, with the arrow, and and it doesn't hit the bullseye, that's what it means to sin. You miss the mark. You miss the bullseye. And the bullseye is God's standard of holiness. It's God's standard of righteousness. Everyone misses the bullseye. And this is why Christ came on a rescue mission. The champion of grace, the hero of heaven, left the glory of heaven and came to our broken world. And he penetrated the lostness of our culture so that lost people might be found. We miss the mark. I mean, you talk to people, people know. Yes, sometimes people play the victim card when it comes to their sin, but I think in the quiet moments of their own soul, they know their a sinner. They know they're broken. And they, they know that they, 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 they need help and they need a savior. Something's not right in their life. Everyone misses the bullseye. The Israelites, they started grumbling very early. If you go back to Exodus 16, they started grumbling about manna and they wanted meat. And Moses said, listen, all of your grumbling is not against me. It's against the Lord. Grumbling is a sign of misplaced expectations. Right? When you have expectations and maybe the Lord doesn't meet those expectations in your life, you start to grumble. You start to be irritated. Right? You're not getting what you think you deserve. This is exactly what's going on with the people of Israel. They have these misplaced expectations. Grumbling is also a sign of discontentment. You know, I really fleshed that out weeks ago. You know, when you grumble, it's a sign that you are not content. You are not satisfied in God. You are saying, God, you're not enough. God, I want more in my life. And you know what? We've all been there, and we're all going to go back there again probably very soon. Maybe today, maybe this week, maybe next week. We're going to say, you know what, God? I want, I need. What I have is not enough. And God's saying, I should, I should be enough for you. Ian Bound says this. Gratitude and murmuring never abide in the same heart at the same time. I think it's so true. You know, you can't grumble and at the same moment be grateful to God for what he's done in your life. I mean, just try to do that. You know, try to go to God in prayer and grumble about something, but be grateful for something. Those two things don't coexist, right? Grumbling is a sign not just of misplaced expectations, a sign of discontentment. It's also a sign of distrust and displeasure with God. The bottom line, 
I think grumbling can be masked with anger. We're angry with God about our lot in life. We're angry with God about maybe our life hasn't turned out the way we thought it would. We're angry with God about maybe the disappointments of life. You know, I think that's the, the root of a lot of grumbling. We're, we're angry. We're not satisfied. We're not, we're not happy with, with the lot that God has given to us. You know, if you were going to, if you were going to list some top sins, you know, many of us, we would go immediately to the Ten Commandments, would we not? Right? Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. Right? Don't have idols, right? We, we would start naming those off, adultery, murder, all these things. But would grumbling make the cut? If you were going to create a list of sins that you were going to try to avoid, would grumbling, murmuring, would it make the list? I think for most of us, it wouldn't because I don't even think it's on our radar screen. I think when we're grumbling, most of the time, we don't even know we're grumbling. We don't, I mean, we're not even in tune with, you know what? Um, what am I doing here? This is an attack against God. It's, it's an attack against his character and his protection, his provision, his, his goodness in my life. Here's point number two. God hates grumbling. God hates grumbling. Not only is it sin, if it's sin, then God hates it, right? God said, how long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? When we grumble, sometimes we grumble because we don't get our way. Sometimes we don't get our way. We don't get the big things in life. We don't get the little things in life. Sometimes we grumble because we face adversity. You know, James, the half-brother of Jesus, he told us, consider it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. You know, we should consider it joy, but sometimes we don't. We grumble. We know the end result is maturity and and Christ-likeness and being refined, but, but we, we, um, we fight against it. We grumble about the disappointments of life. We grumble about other people succeeding, and we feel like we keep pulling the short straws. There have been so many times, and here lately, I'll be honest with you, here lately, I've been struggling, you know, with this in my own life. Literally, I, I've literally been struggling with this with God. You know, like, God... Did I pull the short, the short straw on this deal? You know, God, how come I don't have X, Y, Z? And, and God in his grace and mercy is reminding me of his plan and, and his will and me yielding to him. You know, sometimes we grumble because, I mean, it could be something as minor as someone cut you off on the highway, Right? Uh, we, we grumble when we receive horrible news over the phone or, or maybe a diagnosis, right, from a doctor. Or we grumble maybe something bad happened at work. Or sometimes we grumble because we forget who we are in Christ. We forget that we're living for Christ and him alone. We're living for his glory. We're living um, for, for him. Our identity is, is, is anchored and, and wrapped and connected to Christ Someone said this, whenever you feel down or discouraged, remember, you are not who others say you are. You are not even what you think you are. You are who God says you are. Amen? You know, so often we, we're living for the applause and the praise of other people. 
We are. So often we're, we're living, um, we're battling our own self-defeatist thoughts. But the thing that matters the most is what does God say about me? Who, who, who am I in Christ? What is my identity? If you want to know who you are in Christ, read the book of Ephesians. It lays it out for you. You are loved by God. You are in Christ. All the spiritual blessings. It's amazing. Here's point number three. Grumbling shows unbelief in our hearts. I mean, really, we looked at, we really looked at this big concept last week. The spies come back. They give a bad report. Ten spies are, they've got doubting hearts. Caleb and Joshua, they're like, no, let's, let's go. Let's overcome. Let's, let's take the hill country. God's with us. He's, he, he's on our side. He's going to give us the victory. The people didn't want to go. They had unbelief. They had unbelief in their hearts. When you look at the pattern of, of the attitudes of the people, if you go back to chapter 11, they complained about their misfortunes. They complained about not having meat. They complained about, you know, it was better for us back in Egypt. That was a lie. They complained about Moses' wife, this Cushite woman, right, that he married. And it says that the Lord heard it. You know, some people think that they have the spiritual gift of criticism. There is no spiritual gift of criticism. It doesn't make the list. You know what? It's not one of those motivational spiritual gifts. It's not there right? But people, oh man, people feel like, you know, they've got it, right? Miriam and Aaron, they thought they were lasering in. They were criticizing. They had prejudice lodged in their, the dark recesses of their hearts. They were calling Moses out. They didn't like, I don't think they liked the mantle that God placed on Moses. Because they said, can, can God only use Moses? Can God only speak through Moses? They didn't like the, the prominent position that Moses had. In chapter 13, the people, they started complaining. The bad report, hey man, the, the land is flowing with milk and honey. However, however, so they went from faith to doubt. They went from good news to bad news, right? Like they started sinking in this, in this, in this doubt. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified. They're very large. And besides, we saw the giants there. The culprit was they doubted God. They did not trust God. Grumbling, the focus is not so much on speech because grumbling and murmuring is, is really an attitude of the heart. It's the condition of the heart. Grumbling shows the condition of our hearts. What did Jesus say in Matthew 12, 34? You brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you're evil? And then notice what he says. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus is saying the real problem is not my mouth. The real problem is my heart. See, a lot of us, I think we think the real problem is, no, it's my mouth. No, 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 it's your heart. Because what's in your heart is going to come out. It's like... It's like um, if you're walking down um, a hallway at work and you're carrying a, a, a cup of coffee and you get bumped, that coffee's going to get uh, jostled. That coffee's going to spill out, and it might spill out on someone else. That's true in life. When you get bumped, what's in your heart is going to spill out, right? And that bump could be a lot of things. It could be a lot. Different circumstances. Notice what Jesus said. 
So, so Jesus is saying it's, it's not what comes out, but what's inside. See, the legalist will say, no, it's not within. The problem is not within. The problem is, is out there. So externally, you have to work through things. Dot, you know, dot the T's, you know, cross the T's, dot the I's. Avoid, avoid this taboo, avoid that taboo, keep this ritual. It's Phariseeism. It's external self-righteousness. That's what the Pharisees were all about, looking good. It was about appearance. It was about reputation. It wasn't about integrity. It wasn't about heart transformation. It wasn't about pure love for God. And so Jesus goes on and he tells us in Matthew 15, verse 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, slander. You know, there have been moments in ministry where I have met, I have counseled couples where one spouse cheated on another spouse. And it's devastating. It's devastating. And sometimes, you know, you'll hear little comments like, I just don't know what happened. I can tell you what happened. That was lodged in your heart. And it came out. And you gave in to temptation. This is what Jesus is saying. Out of the heart come evil thoughts. Out of the heart come murder, adultery, sexual. The list is, is endless. But did you catch the first one? Out of the heart come evil thoughts. When we grumble, I think there's a lot of evil thoughts going on. There's a lot of things that we're griping about, we're complaining about, we're murmuring about, we're upset about. We have these evil thoughts about God, about other people, about ourselves. Grumbling doesn't just affect you and God. I think it affects you spiritually. I think it also can affect you and other people. Because you get all sideways and twisted. And then, and then you start projecting and you start getting angry with other people about other things. And they have no clue about it. You have to deal with the heart issue. Not so much your words. Jesus said what's in your heart is what's going to come out of your mouth. Grumbling is a state of the heart. When life throws you a curveball. Whether it's a disappointment, whether it's a setback, how are you going to respond to that? Do you respond like Caleb and Joshua? Do you respond with faith or do you respond like the ten and and the rest of the people of Israel? And you just grumble and you're just frustrated and you're angry with God. Here's point number four. We choose our attitudes. We choose our attitudes. Okay. We've been looking at this passage every week because I think it's, it's relevant and it's, it's just good to be reminded. 1 Corinthians 10, 9 to 10, look at it. Now these things took place as examples for us. So all of the Old Testament, all the stories, everything was for, for us, right? Examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual morality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by servants. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Notice the phrase, we must not put Christ to the test nor grumble. So the examples in the Old Testament are for us. Slavery, plagues, deliverance, Red Sea, wandering in the wilderness, it's all for you. It's all for me. Everything we see, everything we read, every story, 
it's, it's for us, right? So we can learn, we can grow. We're not going to some dusty, distant, disconnected past, right? These stories are for our instruction to build us up, to warn us, right? To warn us so we can learn from, from their sin and their mistakes. You know, the, the people of Israel, they were choosing their attitudes. They were choosing to complain. They were choosing to be negative. They were choosing to criticize the leadership. They were choosing to, to um, express um, prejudice and, and racism. You know, attitudes are patterns of thinking. Attitudes are formed in the heart. Whether you, whether you see the attitude or not, attitudes are formed are not formed overnight. Here's what I'm trying to say. When it comes to spiritual growth, it's one step at a time. We're walking with the Spirit. It's a daily walk. We're yielding. We're surrendering. Total life transformation doesn't take place overnight. It's not microwave, you know, you know, fixes. It's, it's a crock pot, right? You, you walk with God daily, and over time, the patterns of thinking begin to change. See, the people of Israel, they've been in the wilderness for a long time now, and here's, here's what they're doing. They're, they're choosing to be faithless. They're choosing to doubt God. They're choosing to distrust God, and so attitudes are chosen. I love what Chuck Swindoll said. He said, the longer I live, the more convinced I become that life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we respond to it. But I think we, we, think, of, uh, we think of it differently. 90% happens to me and 10% is how I respond. But if the 10-90 split is true, then most of life is choosing our attitudes. That's what it is. Most of life is choosing our attitudes. We choose our attitudes when others get something that you feel like you deserve, when your life doesn't quite turn out the way you thought it would, when life doesn't seem fair, when you feel like, you know what, I'm walking with God, I'm walking in integrity, other people are, are benefiting and their lives are, are, are just marked by sin and it, it just seems like God is blessing them. We choose our attitudes when close family and friends seem to be thriving, but, but you're maybe struggling Everything hinges on attitude. Everything. Let's pick up the story in verse 28. God is telling Moses, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and of all your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jehune, and Joshua, the son of Nun. But your little ones, who you said would become a prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. Your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years, and shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. Here's point five. God judges are grumbling. The end of chapter 14, you see God dropping the spiritual hammer. What was God saying? God is telling his people, 
when it comes to grumbling, I'm not down with that. I'm not a fan of grumbling and disbelief and, 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 and doubts. God takes sin very seriously. Sin has consequences. He said, 20 years up, those who grumbled about me, your dead body shall fall in the wilderness. But then I see, you know what I see? I see, I see God's judgment. I see God's accountability of his people. But I also see a bright, shining light of grace and hope and goodness. Did you catch it? He said, but I will bring your little ones into the land. God is saying, I'm going to give your children what I was originally going to give you. I'm going to give your little ones a future and land and blessings. I'm going to give your children what I wanted to give you, but you rejected me. That's heartbreaking. Verse 34, according to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity 40 years, and you shall know my displeasure. He says you will bear your iniquity. He calls it sin there. What triggered God's displeasure? Faithless, doubting hearts. They absolutely refused to believe God and his word. They refused to take God at his word. Look at verse 35 to 38. It says, I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this I will do to all this wicked congregation who are gathered together against me in this wilderness. They shall come to a full end, and there they shall die. And the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing up a bad report about the land, the men who brought up a bad report of the land died by plague before the Lord. Of those men who went to spy out the land, only Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jehune, remained alive. You know what God's doing here? And I think it's so applicable for us. God is holding them accountable, not just for their actions, but he's holding them accountable for their attitudes. And the heart is where the attitudes are formed. See, God is more concerned about your heart than anything. I think as believers, though, we can get very lasered in on creating the list and avoiding the list that are like action-based. Okay, those sins, that's, that's action. I got, I, got, I got to do something, and if I do that, then I'm going to transgress, right, iniquity. I'm going to sin against God. God's saying, I'm also concerned about the attitudes of your heart, the attitudes that you're forming in your life, the judgment that God lays down on his people. He says, the older generation, they'll be wiped out. They're not going to go into the promised land. And we know that Joshua, we know that Moses didn't go into the promised land. But God said, there will be two men that will go into the promised land with the little ones, the next generation, and that is Caleb and Joshua. Why? Because they were men of faith. They believed God. They trusted God. And it shows that God places a high value on trust. God is, is telling us in Numbers 14, I, I think God is saying, in your life, I want you to trust me. I want you to trust my word. I want you to trust my promises. 
I want you to trust who I am. I want you to trust my perfect track record in your life. I want you to trust me. As believers, this week, we we have an opportunity to either grumble and attack God or be grateful to God. Grumble or be grateful. Let's choose gratitude. Let's choose thanksgiving this week. Let's be grateful and thankful to God for who he is and his amazing promises and how great he is towards us because he's such an awesome God. Amen? Let's, um, let's pray together. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for being such an awesome God. Thank you for being such a, a great heavenly father to us. Lord God, thank you for your provision in our lives. Lord, everything that we have comes from you. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes from above. It comes from your hands, Lord. And so we're thankful, Lord. We're truly thankful, God. Help us, Lord, not to succumb to grumbling and murmuring. Um, help us to, to guard our hearts. God, I pray that you would do a heart work in our lives today. Maybe there's some dissatisfaction. Maybe there's some displeasure, distrust, discontentment that we have towards you, God. I pray, God, that we would confess that today. We would own that. We would own those those sinful attitudes. And we would surrender our hearts and our lives to you. God, I pray that you would work in our lives. Help us to be believers that are not marked by grumbling and complaining. But help us to be believers that are joyous and really content with our lot in life. We thank you, God, for who you truly are. Thank you for your blessings in our lives. And so, Lord, today, we just simply say thank you. Help us, Lord, to walk with you. God, I pray that you would speak to us through your word. May your word be applied to our lives this week as we are uh, confronted with opportunities to really complain and to be frustrated. But Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to just rest in you. Rest in your plan and what you're doing in our lives. And we, we give this to you today. We give you our lives. We give you our hearts. And we pray this in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.